0: silver wings Hannah. do you know the song no shining in the sunlight come on do you know this one nope that's Ro- why i don't care roaring engines come on kevin sing it with me he uh, doesn't know this fading song. in somewhere in flight oh i bet he does he's taking <laughs> you away it's merle haggard Oh, Kevin knows that. song. Yeah, Kevin knows this yeah. song. Hey, welcome Kevin to Pines and Perspectives. It's me again, Adam, and I'm singing random country songs because that's what I do. Uh, this is Cullen, and that is Hannah. Oh, yeah, Smith. And she <laughs> is joining us. We'll talk to her in just a second. Um, what are we doing here? We're going to drink You're some beer first beer. OK, so should be. we are going to introduce Hannah in a minute, but first we're going to drink beer, Hannah. How often do you drink beer
1: uh, socially? Whenever, maybe once a week.
0: You have a social life.
1: I have a social life. Okay,
0: great, excellent. Uh, wait, wait, you said once a week. Okay, so what is what Normally, is? Normally,
1: well, while I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, but excellent. I just drink what everyone else is drinking, so excellent. I don't have a preference.
0: I'm gonna pretend like I uh, know Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I've is is never played it is, once is there a type? <laughs> what is the type of character that you prefer in Dungeons and Dragons? I know there's like a. a uh,
1: my character right now is um, a half elf cleric. Cool. So kind of fitting. It's you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Can you
2: like make these characters up. Yeah. Not like preset characters.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like a whole narrative thing. Um. What was? It? Where was I going with that? Okay. So like once a week. So uh, what is? Uh, like okay. Let's say we're actually going to a bar together, the three of us. Yeah. And, we're, and 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 we all go to the bar and I say, Hannah, uh, get whatever you want. It's on me. What do you order?
1: Probably a cider.
0: Oh. Ooh, okay. I know. Okay, okay. What, I know. What, like what if I said uh, this bar doesn't have ciders? I
1: would. Ask the bartender for their recommendation and drink whatever they give me. Okay. <laughs> I really don't know very much about beer at all.
0: Okay. Well, great. You're so, gonna get a little
1: bit I'm of the a education. But I'm a consumer.
2: Is your favorite place in Houston Cidercade? Ooh.
1: I've been there once. It's
2: fine.
0: It's I, okay. I yeah. think it's.
2: It just gets There's too, too many crowded. people. It's, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. You gotta
0: go like on and, a weekday.
2: Well, and I'm not a cider person, so like it's not my drinking.
0: It's gotta yeah. be. It's gotta be a knock it out of the park cider for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd I, rather uh, go to Dave and Buster's. <laughs>
1: I want to go to Dave and Buster's. I haven't been there since I was like 10. Let's
0: um, go. The problem is Dave and Buster's is exorbitantly expensive. It is expensive. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and Cidercade, you buy cider and a ticket and then you play all the games. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It um, is
2: a very different cost uh, entry point. <laughs>
0: so uh, on today's episode of Pine Some Perspectives, we are we are all going to share one beer. I uh, bought this bomber. Uh, this is Real Ale Brewing Company. Um, uh. That's the H-Town Brewery, right? No, sir. Blanco, Texas, I believe.
2: Oh, uh, oh, yeah, the Hill Country. That's right. That's right. My bad. Hannah, where are you My from? neck of the woods. Yeah, where are you from originally?
1: Yeah, northwest San Antonio.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So a uh, little bit. Uh, that is that is one of the reasons why I picked it for, for you. Oh, nice. anyways. Um, so Real Ale, we've done a few other things. like. Uh, it is
2: uh big, 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 big boozy
0: boozy mcfloozy uh i was thinking about uh this is this is a limited release beer um and i was thinking about um aging it but uh i pulled it out of the fridge today because for this uh why don't you read hold on uh why don't you read this label for us there cullen uh
2: real heavy scotch ale rich and malt driven Part Highlands, part Hill
0: Country. Part Highlands, part Hill Country. Come on. So
2: are, are you telling me they're trying to put like peat in this? It, I, I, is it supposed to taste like peat?
1: Mountain cedar and um, dust.
0: Boom, mountain cedar <laughs> and dust. So I'm going to oh, sneeze. the Hill Country. <laughs> cedar trees. Uh, so I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to have a terrible allergic reaction. Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, but it's beautiful? But it's gorgeous yeah. and, and oh, okay so um, bottled on january 5th so it's pretty fresh are you a scotch drinker hannah
1: uh i like scotch yes
0: okay is are, are i know you, nothing about it okay i was gonna ask you it's like <laughs> is there a region you uh like the most no okay um uh cullen why don't you open this for us while i read the description a scotch ale brewed by metal aficionados you're a metal aficionado <laughs> <laughs> Could be called nothing else but real heavy. Oh, I was just going to hand her the bottle. But oh, okay. okay, that's, that's fine. fine. I, uh, no, gonna, well, it's just easier. That's fine. He's going to do it all. Uh, you know, equity and inclusion here. Um, uh, our take on the we heavy style uh so that is the style of ale which is also like a scotch ale which that's a whole other thing uh is an imposing malt forward brew weighing in at 9.3 percent alcohol by volume it is brewed with english crystal malt you ever worked with english crystal malt no you haven't Uh, i have not english hops and fermented with our house english ale yeast it's a very english beer Um, resulting in a rich brown color and a toffee accented malt character. Bang your head with a couple of pints of real heavy. So Scotch ales in general are exactly what they sound like. They are ales that um, sort of play on the British um, you know, Scotch. Well, I guess it's Scotland. Anyways, give us a nose. Somebody tell us what they think. 27 IBUs. Original gravity twenty
2: two. That explains the boozy.
0: Hannah, what do you smell? It
1: smells like alcohol.
0: Ooh, nice. You oh, gotta, <laughs> she just said <laughs> smells
2: boozy.
1: You got it.
0: You have another uh, uh, nose <laughs> that you might mention. Like, ooh, give me a, a, a fruit or a or a bread or a, or a something.
1: It smells like banana nut bread. Okay.
0: Look, you know a lot about beer. You're like a sure. You're like a sommelier of beer. <laughs> you said banana nut bread. Helen um it definitely tastes or smells
2: very malt forward yeah uh, lots of lots of malt
0: so right so um yeah. scotch ales much like barley wines much like um well they're just like malt on malt on malt right yep um yep. because you gotta have a lot of sugar we've talked about this you yep. gotta have a lot of sugar high alcohol high sugar what does that mean Banana
2: it can, well and that's why <laughs> most scottish people will just drink you under the floor so <laughs>
0: come through um this beer in particular has won a million awards uh, it was the three-time gold medal winner scotch ale and the great american beer festival 16 17 18 um anyways mm. Sisyph- sisyphus is also a beer from real ale and i just it just dropped i just picked it up and I'm, we were going to drink that one but you'll have to tune in four episodes from now okay let's taste it cheers cheers friends cheers, cheers hannah hmm <laughs> First time I ever had real heavy this beer, I was on um what river was that? I was on a river. You were drinking mm. this on a river? Yeah. I used Golly to Golly boy. I used to go hard. Uh, <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> I was in um San Marcus. So yeah, on the Comal. It must have been the Comal. Yeah. I, I was trying to think of the Hill Country. Yeah, I know. I was trying to think, <laughs> was it the Guadalupe or the Comal? I couldn't remember because yeah. I floated them all. But yeah. um I was on the Comal, and so the very first sip of this beer i immediately was triggered positive trigger uh <laughs> back to that time i can yeah. see myself like you know drinking a freaking real heavy they only come in bombers or um on tap and it's so- delicious it's delicious yeah, yeah. What, do you, what do you think about the taste there hannah What do you, what do you, is it taste like banana nut bread what's up
1: it's great yeah. i have no if sophisticated words but i like it and i would drink it again there you go okay. that is you
0: can't ask for much more <laughs> one of one of the things we do on this podcast is we give each beer a rating a oh, personal damn. rating okay yeah so uh and the scale is like one to ten okay but cullen loves having decimal points oh yeah well, so have you i'm ever- a decimal point person too girl. Well, there you go. uh
2: do you know who dave portnoy is no he okay good uh <laughs> he's quite a controversial figure uh he's a lot like me He's happy to tell people to go follow uh, him That's okay. what I love about it. He's the owner of Barstool Sports. founder of Barstool Sports.
0: Oh, he okay? Um, yes. Um, he recently came out and said that Donald Trump was a threat to the uh, American democracy. So, well, he uh, is. Yeah, he is. Agreed.
2: But anyways, um, shocker. Dave Portnoy <laughs> does this thing called uh, the One Bite Pizza Review. And he goes all over New York City, or actually all over the U.S. Just trying pizza. He's done them in Italy. Well, it's not one bite. It's like a made-up rule because he'll eat like sometimes he'll eat a slice and a half before he does a rating. And he always buys a whole pie, and then reviews it, and then just gives the rest of the pie around to people around. Oh, Uh, kind. And they have a whole app and everything. Anyways, he does the decimal point system, and he calls anything that's not a decimal point rating a rookie score. So I don't know if you've been watching, but you often get a rookie score parentheses next to uh, your rating because I, you don't play the game right.
0: You know, that's so um, asinine <laughs> and ridiculous. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Uh, speak, speaking of pies, uh, anybody want to know food pairings for this? Oh, yes. Recommended by Real Ale? Uh, they recommend – oh, you want to take a guess at it? Uh, something cheese-based. It's super freaking British. So you're you're on the right track, friend.
2: Yeah, something cheese, but something fatty.
0: Shepherd's pie. Yeah, okay. Which is not cheesy necessarily, but it's very but po- greasy, very greasy potatoey. Uh, and then something called here we go, Stilton cheese. Yep, mm. greasy. You know what a Stilton cheese? I don't know what a hell a Stilton. No cheese. idea. Did you have you ever been to the UK? No. No, neither have I. Uh, Haggis is the other food pairing, which I don't know what that is. Uh, I think it's goat intestine, right? Oh, delicious! It's like a British thing. Uh, comment below. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google it.
2: Goat intestine. Or not- I was
0: always told was sheep. tripe. Sorry, sheep, sheep intestine. That's right. Sheep. I thought tripe was it. Never mind. Sheep intestine. Tripe or sheep, also- sheep stomach. Haggis is sheep stomach.
2: Okay. A Scottish dish dish consisting of a sheep or calf's mm. offal mixed with suet, oatmeal, and season. What the <laughs> f- is that awful?
1: with oatmeal. Interesting.
0: And sue it, uh, it's very British and gross. Uh, I've had it a couple times. Um, okay, give it a rating. What, what would you? Oh rate yeah, this? it's
2: it's 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 organs, it's intestines. Yeah, You're right, it's but it's from a sheep or calf. I'm gonna say
1: nine point two. <laughs> yeah, my reasoning is because it is boozy, but it also tastes sweet, um, and I need the sweet because I'm a lightweight.
2: So
0: um, I was, I was. <laughs> it's really good. I was slow on this, so let me do this. Okay, there
2: it is. <laughs> We don't we don't get nines on this podcast very often. That's uh.
1: I don't love beer. Off, I drink that. it socially, but I would drink this again on purpose. I there you like go. It. Oh. There
0: warning! You go. Yeah. Warning! Right. It is nine point three percent. So if you uh, <laughs> yeah 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 it, socially drink slow,
2: <laughs> it is not crushable. Not crushable. It will knock you on your.
0: Um. Give it a rating. Um. I
2: think it's very good it's very well balanced the hops there the malts there the booze is there i even get some yeast flavor which i love that's one of the things you love about scottish and european beers is they still have their yeast flavor in them um i think it's very i think i'm seven four i think it's very good beer
0: yeah so um it's well known on this podcast that i love browns ambers and reds
2: and married to a blonde it's
0: true <laughs> hey baby um uh and Scotch ales are in that family. It's yeah. it's the same, yeah. And uh, my favorite beer style is barley wine, which is another British. Yep. Highly, it's it, they're very age close. boozy. Yeah, they're very, very, very close. So I love this stuff. I, I the color is perfect. The um the malt is everything I want it to be. It is sweet. That's what I like. Mm-hmm. Like I like hops. I do. Mm-hmm. I love hops. I respect the game, but sometimes I just want something sweet instead of bitter. Or at least well balanced. This is perfectly balanced. Yep. Um, I wish I had bought two and put one in the cellar. I did not. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to check this in a couple years. I bet it would hold up perfectly. I'm gonna give it because Hannah's here, and I'm apparently a rookie. A nine. How about that? Okay. How about them apples?
2: <laughs> How about them apples?
0: I also have all these like little sound effects that you cannot hear, but I can. <laughs> yeah, but that trigger. is
2: unfortunate. You don't have the uh, headphones in.
0: Okay, we are going to uh, forthwith with haste. Um, So, Hannah, who are you? Why are you here? (laughs) How? Okay, look, so I was thinking about, I was like, how am I going to introduce Hannah? And I was like, I'll just tell a story about how we met. Oh, do it. I think it might be more fun if you tell it. I don't
1: remember meeting you. I just remember how you made me feel oh i know that's
2: sweet what's funny oh it is, is sweet look, look I mean, okay yeah. i promise I remember there's... how you made me feel too
0: yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> i don't know how to No, you tell the
1: story of how we met i want to i okay. want to remember
0: okay here's what's funny i promise like um we're both in committed relationships yes it's not, not romantic but yes. i do remember the first time i saw you <laughs> okay you remember the way i made you feel and i remember the ways uh, we saw each other at uh the first time i met you Saw you. I don't I don't know if we even spoke yet, but um, so uh, we are both graduates of George W. Truett Theological Seminary yes. at Baylor University, which is an extremely long name. Um, and Some so letters. we were in the same incoming class together yes. in 2015, mm-hmm. in the fall of 2015. And like the first week at Truett is like this big orientation week where you like tour because Baylor's huge. And most of us are coming from. Where'd you come from? Somewhere in Waxahachie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, you know, you get a lot of students that come there. Like, I came from HBU, so i never been to Baylor's campus, yada, 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 so they tour you around. So the first time I remember seeing you was uh, we were touring the library. Do you remember this? Oh, no, I don't. Yeah. We had some sort of orientation at the big, what's the big one? Moody Library? Yeah, Moody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, he's also a graduate of Truett. Um As of May. <laughs> as of May, a recent graduate. No way. Um, and so that's the first time we saw each other. And then at some point in that orientation day, like, we made Introductions mm-hmm. and you described yourself as um like a I think you used the phrase third wave Pentecostal.
1: Interesting,
0: or or potentially like third wave charismatic. Interesting. And so the first time I ever heard you speak, I was like, wow, okay, this girl, first of all, is uh like like a charismatic like me mm-hmm. and used language that indicates that she's an educated charismatic yeah. like me. Yeah. And here we are both together at this. You know a pretty um reputable seminary right. together that mm-hmm. is not not charismatic but uh and academically rigorous and i was like i gotta be friends with yeah hannah. i gotta be friends with hannah smith yeah um and then and i re- last saying and then you can. Uh, and then i remember in chapel you were the only <laughs> in those first few chapels that we had to attend you were the only person who would stand or lift their hands
1: oh <laughs> that if you would have said that to me a couple years ago i would have felt so cringy about that but i love it right now
0: i'm so proud of that so i just knew and then yeah anyway so what, what what is your recollection
1: yeah so i the first time i ever remember speaking to you was um at the picnic that we had. Oh, yeah. And I remember we had a conversation. We, you know, we were. I already already kind of knew that you kind of came from a charismatic background. But you were talking to me about IHOP and some other stuff yeah. that you had done. The and
0: International I, House of Prayer, for those of you who don't know what she means by IHOP. Charismania yeah. Central. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Charismania Central. And I, could, I remember just feeling like, oh, I can use language around Adam. Yeah. And she gets me in a way that... Oh, man, I felt so out of place at Truett. I remember one of the professors, like the first week, we like had to go around. It was like first day of class. We had to go around the room and say like a little bit of our background. And I was the only person in the class that wasn't Baptist. Yeah. And I said, I'm Pentecostal. And she said, why are you here?
0: Oh, And. Wait, which professor?
1: I'm not going to say. Name,
0: oh. Okay, we could guess I was we'll just go ahead. So <laughs> I was like, I could guess. And,
1: like, the thing is, is, like, I don't think it was mean-hearted. No, but, yeah. like, as a Pentecostal person in academia, I already felt, like, yeah. m- really misunderstood. Yeah. No one gets me. Yeah. People think I'm a phony. Like, yeah. they think I'm not educated. And so, when... When I met Adam, it was like, oh, this is the person I can use my language. Like I, yeah. it was like speaking a language that no one else could understand. Yeah. Um, and I remember we just like, we talked about Bethel. We talked about IHOP. We talked about like just <laughs> all these things. Um, and it just, it felt like, and I don't even think we ever had a class together in seminary.
0: I can't remember one class. I mean, we were around each other a lot. But, yeah. But never. Yeah.
1: But like we weren't even in the same friend group. It was Mm-mm. just like, true, sure, it's kind of small. But I remember yeah. just feeling like, it was like a feeling of. There's at least one person at the school that gets me, Aww. you know. Uh, that is very comforting because I was already uh, very frustrated being at True, and it was not my first choice. I did not want to necessarily be there, yeah. but uh, I was there, yeah. and um, yeah. So I'm, I, I think of you as like the one person who got me, Aww. who I could be myself around and yeah so grateful that i met you guys
0: that makes me feel so good cullen you you had a similar experience you you loved me the first day you met me too no
2: adam loved me the first day you met me because right after he met me we went into a class together and i had no problem saying how i felt in the class and adam went that's my guy
0: i was like somebody else who's pompous and outspoken Um, (laughs) another arrogant bastard (laughs) um yeah. And so what year did you graduate? Did we graduate in the same class? I don't we- think
1: so. No, I kind of um, I took a lot of time off. I was like on and off again. Okay. I graduated in May 2019.
0: OK, OK. Um, and I, I actually- graduated December 20. 20- no, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. May, May 2019. Girl, we walked you- together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: I had already moved to Houston then, and I even took a class here at the, that's at the what it, Houston campus. That's what it was. You had yeah. left. You had yeah. left
0: the campus, but we—I think we still walked together. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, um, because I moved back to Houston in June of 2019. Yeah. So that's that's when I uh, or July. Um, okay, cool. So, um, why don't you tell folks? Um, Well, let's start with what do you do now? So, so what do you, you, you've graduated Truett, you have a seminary degree, you have an undergraduate degree also in theology. Um, So what do you do these days?
1: Yeah, these days I work as a hospital chaplain um here in houston i've kind of worked a little bit of everywhere right now i'm working at a level one trauma hospital
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and, and, and uh, for those of you who don't understand what that means in houston texas that is uh how, how many gsws last night
1: <laughs> i had um a level 11 level uh level one gsws last night 11
0: so. level one uh, that is, sorry gunshot wounds is gsw uh, yeah. I, I know that from uh Grey's anatomy um <laughs> And so you, are you a Baptist? Are you a charismatic? How do you identify?
1: How do I identify? Yeah. Yeah, great question. I, um, I was confirmed in the Episcopal church in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I am a Episcopalian. I always joke that I'm Episcocostal. Yes. I still like to move and groove um, <laughs> um, in church um, and elsewhere, um, yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Um, So do you still, um, is there any part of you that identifies with the Baptist world? Never. Never. Mm -mm. Not even when you were forced to take Baptist history from those professors, huh?
1: Never. Yep. Truett was um, my second choice. Um, My first choice didn't work out last minute. What was it? Yeah, so I applied to Duke. Yeah. I got accepted to Duke. I was like packed ready to go and then they sent me an email saying that they had like overextended offers and they like were like hey we can't actually give you a scholarship you're gonna have to reapply next year and so i like last minute had to find another place to go and so i chose truett because of its stance on women in ministry yeah um it was when you're pentecostal like that's an that's not obvious right and so I, i wasn't trying to be anywhere that um was not affirming of women yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
0: So. um uh that's funny because th- at that time too i was trying to get into duke like duke was my first choice and yeah. true was my second choice but true gave me more money so i, I got into to, duke uh, uh, did they offer you any money though
2: uh, yeah dude i got in for the phd oh when i left hbu i turned it down for hunter she Aww. left me
0: and then she cheated on... Okay, well, well there we go. It's an
2: unfortunate story.
0: Oh. Ooh, it's okay. okay. Life um, goes on. We
2: move <laughs> along. It's okay. I would okay. not have been happy if I'd have done that.
0: We are going to spin the next three episodes with Hannah, this one and two more. And so we're going to get more into her theology and her perspective on some specific topics. But the place we want to go to first, and we'll get to know you a little bit more as well. But the place we want to go to first
2: is... Penal Substitutionary Atonement.
0: And the crowd goes wild. No, the crowd's like, <laughs> Uh So, uh, let's talk about Penal Substitutionary Atonement. So, Hannah, you may or may not know, and I can't remember if I told you this or not, but we're doing, uh, we're finishing a series on... Um, Atonement theories, but we had slash a, models because we had an actual theologian in here, like a like a PhD theologian, um, in here a couple episodes ago, and he didn't like the word theory. But uh, in my Adam
2: didn't like the word atonement. He didn't like the
0: word theory. So <laughs> right out of the gate, my
2: entire series was like, nope, we're gonna. Show so let me start here
0: with you hannah um in terms of atonement theory so hannah's a trained theologian um in terms of like atonement theories or atonement models or whatever you know uh, soteriology is there a model or or theory that you um kind of currently hold or a combination thereof
1: yeah great question um I am. I always joke that I'm like a ninety percent process person these days. Nice. Only ninety percent process. Okay. You know this. This is my. This is my theory on that. That the the last page of every process book is, we made God up, Mm. and I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Okay. My problem is, is I work. And I do so much crisis ministry.
0: Yeah, as a chaplain.
1: And yeah, and this idea of like God needing to be sovereign is actually a really helpful and necessary wow. um, concept, especially in times of crisis and grief. <laughs> like we need something bigger than ourselves yeah. for us to find our place in the world and for us to make meaning, especially in um, in, in, in midst of grief. Yeah. Um, and so. I really like the idea of process theory in general. I don't know that in situations of hardship that it is always helpful or applicable. Um, That's why I say I'm
2: like
0: 90%. (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder.
2: You know, that's a really great point that we should probably talk about uh, more in depth is that it's real easy for us to you know, privileged white dudes to sit up here and talk about God and, and have all these great things sure. and ideas about God, but when when you when you meet the person that's houseless, yeah. when you meet the person that uh, struggles with just surviving, they don't have the luxury of that, and they need a very different God than we do. This
0: is one of the reasons why I have not just jettisoned Christianity entirely. Like, yeah. so I I think I would identify these days as a Christian atheist. Like, I think we have made God up. Um, so I want to talk to you about your sovereignty uh, uh, thoughts there. But um, but one of the reasons why I can't just say, oh, it's all a sham is because, yeah. well, first, liberation theology. Um, which what I mean by that is, like, there are people in crises or oppression or just yeah. poverty or, you know, whatever. You mentioned homelessness. Um, where it's, like, critically important. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right. My privilege, I don't really need that. I'm a pretty comfortable person. Yeah. Um, so, what do you th- what do you mean by sovereignty uh, in that statement?
2: <laughs> exactly what you think she means. No, no, no. It's a theological word that has a very clear meaning. Well, what do you? Am mean? I wrong?
1: Well, yeah. um... I think sovereignty is a word that I've been really hesitant to define for myself. Okay. Uh, just because I, I wrestle with it. You know, I grew up in a tradition that is very, um, very Wesleyan, Mm -hmm. like really comfortable with a, um, heretical label of being like semi Pelagian or just full, uh, a I identify
0: as full out.
2: Pelagian. Yeah, yeah. Um, is my homeboy. Yeah. I, I call him a
0: heretic, whatever. Yeah, I don't that's
2: care. Fine. The club. Adam's good like, I don't there. Think God's real anyway, so yeah. I don't care.
1: Yeah. So you know this. You know, ugh, like any kind of like determinism yeah. or predestination, really gives me the ebgb's. Sure. I wasn't raised that way, anyways, and right. so it's always felt really foreign to me. Um. So I don't necessarily mean sovereign in like a perfect order okay. of the universe or even time or deterministic or deterministic gap yeah.
0: yeah. but
2: definitely in some way that they have like something is bigger than me control sure. something some is manner. bigger than me
1: and yeah. in, in a loose sense yeah. right there is something that is that came before me that knows more than me um and i don't even mean in a um
0: pre-existent eternal sense
1: Well, no, I mean, I'm I'm really comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with like personification of God. Okay. (laughs) So like, or God is like a like even equating God to having a a consciousness like humans have. Like humans have a consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but more just like um, an overall sense of there's something bigger than me, and and not and not um. and not in a way that is making God into um, reducing God into a person. A human. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, when you um, when you say, um, well, okay, let me ask it this way. Is Can a, I ask? A no, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, like, on a scale of like eminence and transcendence, mm-hmm. like a vertical spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Where would you be on that? like? Is God like ninety percent transcendent, or is God like ninety percent eminent, or where where would
0: you be? Yeah.
1: yeah. Great question.
0: In that hospital room. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Oh, that is like the question though that CPE students are like always asking um, whenever right. they are um, in the room. It's a hard question because I feel like it's both at the same time. Yeah, it's good. Um, and it like it has to be for God to be real in any like felt sense. Sure. Um, the imminence that's there is the the human connection. The like uh, the I you see. know when two yeah. or more gathered in my name, there I am. Right. Yeah. But it's, um, but the transcendence is that goes back to that sovereignty like there's yeah so God is like fixed
2: transcendently and then the experience of an imminent uh, God it comes through community comes through the human relationship yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah so What's up with penal substitutionary atonement? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah How do you feel that? about this? <laughs> well, you, you, you wanted to.
2: Well, but okay. So my uncle uh, is a AG. leader in the AG. Oh, um, wait. And so, who's uh, your uncle? <laughs> Tim Ware.
1: How do you spell where? Ware? W A R E. I don't think I know. He's too a
2: more. church consultant but for the North Texas District. Oh, Foundation. I used to live in North Texas. I was going to yeah. say, I think he's in the uh, district yeah. too, but yeah. Um, so, anyways, I have been all up in the AG world. I almost went to Sagu, which I that's imagine where that's I where I he went. was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Yeah, that's so crazy. I yeah. almost went to Sagu on a basketball scholarship. I oh, nice. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, small world. Yeah, small world. So, and Waxahachie. Uh, that's right. Uh, it's a whack. Um, anyways, um, So, I'm quite familiar with the AG world, and penal substitutionary atonement, it's, like, foundational for them. Would you say that? Like, Jesus died for your sins, and you need to be the holiest of holy that you can be so so that you don't ruin his sacrifice. That is AG staple to a core, in my understanding. I mean, it's even one of the 16 fundamental truths is about atonement and penal substitution.
1: Say more about the 16 fundamental truths, the fact that you're using that language.
2: Oh, (laughs) The 16 fundamental truths Are these weird like doctrinal hoopla. It's that, the creed of the AG. It's a creed. Yeah, it's they, creedalism. That they, they, they say they, they make, don't have. They make all their ordained and licensed and credentialed ministers mm-hmm. sign it every year. Yeah. They do have exception cards. Damn, you know I so all, much. Oh, girl, I was almost ordained. <laughs> I, know I was this.
1: ordained. In the in re- So as you know, you have to renew it every year, every which year. is why yep. I'm not in good standing with the AG.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and like the AG, the polity works a little bit different, and I didn't like it because like in the Baptist world, churches pay contributions to the denomination Mm -hmm. in the ag world churches can do that Mm -hmm. but in the ag world the main way the denomination gets funded is the pastors pay Mm -hmm. their 10 percent tithe to the denomination yes it does not go to the local church so Mm -hmm. you as a pastor ministering to these people asking them to give their money to these community needs you don't even do Mm-hmm. Trash. You Which give is
1: it why so this. many AG pastors actually give up their credentials so that they don't have to make their 10% wow. tithe to the, the denomination. Look, man,
0: this it is really why is,
2: it's a broken system. I will
0: say it again and again: tax the church, cullen <laughs> I need a graphic right here: tax the church. That, okay,
2: that graphic's probably going to be a middle finger. Just let everybody <laughs> know.
0: Um, Let's get back to penal substitutionary atonement because we will have plenty of time to talk to Hannah about other things. So, yeah,
2: so penal substitutionary atonement—that was probably a staple for you growing up, right? Like Jesus died for your sins.
1: Yeah. I I didn't hear that word until Bible college at Sagu.
0: Right. What um, sins? No 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 no, 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 no.
1: Penal substitutionary oh, atonement. Yeah. The theological and, term. Um, I would say it's probably a little bit more my experience of growing up in a Pentecostal household is probably a little bit more complicated than sure. that. Okay. Um, but, you know, governmental theory is also very Wesleyan, yeah, yeah. right? And yeah. so, like, because the Assemblies of God and Pentecostal traditions came from Wesleyanism, there's a lot of governmental in there as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's... Um, it's not as noticeable if you don't know what you're looking for. And also like Pentecostals can't even articulate atonement theories in general. So they would not know that that's what they're doing. Right.
0: Well, there's a, there's an anti intellectualism that runs through all of it. So anyways, yeah. yeah. Um, why don't you, so what's, what's your beef with penal substitutionary atonement?
2: Well, ironically, at least in the way it was presented to me, it created, um, self-hatred. Well, it rooted, <laughs> it rooted my faith in shame.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's it, my point. It created
2: a shame-based faith, which, right. you know, it's not hard for Scripture to do that. I mean, the Bible can do that because it's written in an honor-shame culture. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's sure. not that hard. Um, but my, I guess my problem is, and, you know, Ben used the analogy of a golf bag. I don't really love that because there's some of them that, like, there's some of these atonement theories. I'm just
0: like, Um, We use every you use every uh, 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 club in your golf bag. Not
2: every not every round, but every club in my golf bag has been hit on the golf course at some point.
0: And so you're like uh, six iron is your penal substitutionary atonement. And like so you're saying like you would never use the six iron.
2: No, what I'm saying is like my hardest club and my bag to hit is like my two iron
0: yeah and,
1: i cannot even track these analogies <laughs> i have no idea what the and fuck so you guys are like, talking
2: about <laughs> if, if i have to get the golf bag analogy uh yeah what's ransom what? theory is my two iron okay. i'm like this
0: shit has no value to me oh like, wow
2: god, okay the wrath of god needing to be satisfied mm-hmm. and like pouring that out on jesus on the cross as a medium of satan so like yeah yeah, no, yeah. i just no, <laughs> I, I got no space. Um, no. And I think, you know, for me, the, the biggest problem is like the Bible has so many other metaphors that you could go off of. Like yeah. it, it speaks to so many other elements than just that. Sure. Um, right. Cause th- mean- there's no need to root your faith in shame. Mm. If your goal is just to deal with atonement. Cause we've talked about this too. My be one of my beef with penal substitutionary atonement And a lot of these atonement theories is they're isolated to solve one problem. Yeah. Right. Atonement.
0: The reactionary.
2: Right. But they don't they don't speak or have any interconnectedness to any other theological concept.
0: Christus Uh, Victor
2: does. I
1: was going to say Christus Victor does. Yeah. Thank you. Yes.
2: (laughs) The last episode that we just did. uh, It does. And it's mine. And it's because it fits in a much larger category of liberation.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Which, Victory which over
2: death and sin mm-hmm. and slavery and evil and all these things. That is liberation. That is a restorative metaphor that I can track from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22.
0: Too bad God's the author of all those things that he had to solve.
2: <laughs> is God? Well, there's lots of episodes having that conversation. <laughs> you can go back. So Chris's Victor, it, it, it fits in a much larger restorative category than just atonement okay which is why i think i make it my primary because like i i really don't like when we create grand theological schemes and concepts either off of one element of faith so either to solve one faith element or to off of one bible verse Mm -hmm. to like make something whole or just nonsense the bible's not um losing the word i'm trying to think of what what was it called what was the patristic document called when they tried to homogenize all of the gospels together
0: oh yeah what
2: was that thing called
0: the tetragrammaton no that's another oh no. Uh, no but you're close uh, <laughs> that's the word
2: uh, damn you would think that we uh how would, many yeah like, i was thinking like, to say, it's like at the you would of tongue, think you would think we this. would have seven degrees between <laughs> the, the three of us
0: in theology uh the, that's a fun game we play on this yeah. podcast oh, it's, what was uh,
1: that really important thing seminary? Yeah. No, no no in seminary? no the game
0: is how many degrees, how many degrees are in the are room, in the room? Oh. <laughs> it's the most elitist yeah. yeah. how many you've got two
1: well i mean okay how are we counting degrees well let's so do it's degree if that counts in oh, bible
0: okay oh okay and then
1: bat you know bachelor's in theology okay and then my um i that went was, to seminary and that then that i have three. a graduate diploma in anglican studies so there's
0: and I'll, and
1: and I'm about to head back. So
0: she's about to be on her fifth. So she's gonna beat you. Well, she won't when them all said.
2: Well, she will if she keeps going. That's she won't what I'm when saying. When all said and
0: done. That's what I'm saying. So uh, okay, we're the coolest. Um, I tried to Google or, it real quick.
1: Horrible metric and, system. Or in oh. the words
2: have been blackwell. <laughs> we're all educated beyond our intelligence.
0: <laughs> educated beyond our intelligence and unemployable. Alright. So there is the Joseph Smith translation, but that's a, that's a, no, different, that's it a was a patristic document. I know I can't, I can't, um, they tried I to harmonize.
2: Write. I keep wanting to say the word syllogism and it's not that, uh, but anyways, the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell one story. The Bible tells many, many perspectives of one story happening across thousands of years. And that makes it, it just, it's written in a way that it's not homogenous. It doesn't all meld together there are one-off things that you go, what the fuck do I do with that? Well, there's no sense in us trying to make space for them. It's like, it's okay for that to be there. It's okay for us to not understand that. And so what I think penal substitutionary autonomy has done is it's taken this like concept to solve this one problem, which... I think it was intentionally created to be shame based. You it ready
0: for this? The Diatessaron.
1: The there you go. That's
0: what right. That's, what right. That's like right. the Tetragrammaton. Yeah, you I was, did. Yeah. It was in there. <laughs> I was like, you're close. <laughs> you're close. Yeah. Is this what, a what, blend of a- the
1: Synoptic Gospels? Is that what this is? Yes. What?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's Syriac uh, yeah. by Tatian, and it's like um,
2: written in like 190, right?
0: It is written in 170-ish, yeah. yes. Um, and it is uh, not just a uh, synthesis of the synoptics, but all four. John's in there, too. yeah Yeah, all
2: the Gospels. Yeah.
0: yeah. All of them. Yeah. Tatian. Tatian. Mm-hmm. Um, it was reconstructed in 1881 by Theodore Zahn, uh, but clearly has fallen out of. Uh, that's a whole
2: nother conversation. We could do a whole episode on the Diatessaron because I think it ruins the Gospels because it takes the beauty of each one away because they're I, each
0: telling a different story. Apparently, it still has it still carries some authority in the Syriac church.
2: Well, that's probably true because it's probably one of their earliest documents. Mm-hmm. It, in, indeed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, That makes the most sense. Um,
0: uh, what
2: are your thoughts on penal substitutionary atonement? It was probably your primary model that you were given as a child. Do you, if
0: do you accept it as a as no? A, why not?
1: Um, it's a product of 20th century Western American context, <laughs> and is. I mean, like,
0: <laughs> well said. Here's
1: the deal: like, I believe strongly that all all theology is contextual, sure. right? All of it is, of and therefore, every context there is a justification for the theological repercussions i guess that happen in a culture sure um it's not traditional christian thought i mean it's so new and in, in, in christian history yes. yeah, yeah. Or, yes, that, my yes. problem with it is not even that it exists if you want to believe like that that's fine mm. i mean i you know that's american christianity for you and if that's your vibe whatever i can't you know i have no place to critique someone the the culture and the context in which someone lives out their faith yeah. however My problem is that it has been articulated as orthodoxy. Yes, and that's that's a problem. And it's not because it's so fucking new. (laughs) This is not deep, guys. Like you are not like this is not profound. This is very new. This
2: hasn't stood fifteen hundred years of Christian history. She said this is not profound at
1: all. Like at all. So yeah, I'm not mad that it exists. There's lots of theologies I think are bullshit. Right. They hold significance to people in ways that I cannot understand because that's not. Not my lived experience sure um i just have a problem with the snootiness
0: behind you're it. such yeah. a good chaplain you're, you're <laughs> like you're like live your life yeah. i don't you know you're accepted but i mean if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty then we'll talk about it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the thing man because i guess it does work for a lot of whole, a lot of people i just yeah. hate the fact that it is so shame-based and, mm-hmm. and you know you make a really great point about like look this is kind of the we're reading this ancient document, which was in a shame culture, you know, uh, honor shame culture. Uh, that was a good point. But, um, it just makes people hate themselves. Yeah. And it made me hate myself. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, every single day lived with like this grand fear, like this, you know, like well,
2: I, I, yeah. So with this, I'm going to pause you real no, quick no, because there's a, a key piece of this. I forgot to say like sure. p- part of it is like, why did Jesus die on the cross for you to keep you out of hell? Sure. So it makes a borderline tertiary, maybe even, you know, something so fringe doctrine that didn't even come around until the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, central yeah. to a key point about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and That's what also roots it in the shame piece.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that it is it is um, I think consciously or unconsciously most pastors and preachers in this Protestant Western penal substitutionary atonement, you know, camp um, consciously or unconsciously, it's it like this soteriological system is weaponized. Yeah. yeah. To control like like you need shame. OK, now I'm really going to go down it like it's a, shame, it's a shame based theology that forces you to keep coming back to the source of your forgiveness. Uh, and continue to repent and you know I think there's like an economic motivation here too mm. right like because you are filthy dirty unacceptable and like you need acceptance and so the arbiter of that acceptance is like this protestant theological system that you can mm. only actually access in a certain church with a certain leadership structure and yada 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 yada, 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 yada right and so it becomes like a <laughs> weapon for controlling people to continue to have to support John Piper or like mm. whatever, you know. Sorry the name drop there. That's yeah. why I hate it. It feels, yeah. it feels, um, predatory. Predatory. It feels predatory. Of course
2: it does. That's yeah.
0: because they're predators. Well, there you go.
1: I'm, I'm like re- thinking as you're talking. I'm like trying to go back to all my church history days. So sinners in the hands of an angry God. That was
0: uh, uh, Edwards, Johnson, John and Edward. and
1: Edwards, which was during the Great 1800s. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah and I can
2: I I, I love this Say okay go for it
1: no no I'm just what I'm trying to I guess work out in my head right now is the relationship between fear and the need for this assurance mm. you know what I mean absolutely um, like yeah. what was happening in the culture and in society that caused so much fear that Created this theological ramification the great of depression no no, no no
0: no great depression. You're way too. You, you, your history is messed up.
2: No, because you don't think that economic downfall, like that collapse, creates fear for people lasting that that like. Wait, hold on. Do you
0: mean the 1940s Great Depression? No, I mean the 1830s. Well, sinners in the hands of an angry God was 1741. Oh, my bad. My bad. So,
1: and Jonathan Edwards was in where when he preached that sermon?
2: Like well, no, so, uh, New England. So this is this is my favorite part about Massachusetts. This he only preached that sermon twice. You know, he's a pastor of his own church. Right. Mm-hmm. He preached that sermon there first, and he almost got fired.
1: Yeah. It, it was dead. very controversial. Nobody
2: it? liked it. It was done. Yeah. He went 20 miles down the road yeah. and preached at a different congregation. Infield. And that's the story you always hear where they're gripping the backs and like their claw mark, like their toe, marks, their nail marks are left in the back of the pew. That's so it's like that shows you the difference. Like, think back to like Billy Graham and like evangelism. He did and, the like, same thing
0: though. He just did it I, nicer. Yeah.
2: Well, not exactly. I mean, his threat is still you need so, to be saved
0: from hell. Same threat.
2: It's the exact same threat. Very good point. And, and that like fear based um, salvation that, that costs you nothing.
0: Right. right. Of course you're going to, there's a great book called Jesus, uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Wait, is it right yeah, 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 here? Yeah, it's right there. So, um, also
1: sinners in the hands of a loving God
0: is right there. So yeah. Brian's on, which is, yeah, we can't see what's here. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. Like there's a, yeah. Uh, a, a, a direct rebuttal, but, um, yeah, it's funny. So he preached that first sermon in Northampton, Massachusetts. The second time he preached it was, um, in Connecticut. Um, And uh, during the first Great Awakening, it's interesting. I I don't know what the cultural set was then. I mean, we do right, like seventeen hundreds, like your your post your post colonial or um. You're still in a colonial setting, right? And you're like, I guess, fighting Native Americans for land? I mean, this is pre... Uh, well, 70- you're 1741, right? It's pre-1776. So you're pre-independence. So yeah. you're still trying to survive. But, but, but you are... You have been for 100 years dealing with some bullshit from Britain. Well, but everybody's dying of, like, plague and stuff. Like, That's ev- true. Everybody is dying. And Billy, Indians are killing people. And Billy Graham makes a splash with the same... Sp- Theological system because it's post World War II. Yep, like, it, like it, society has experienced um, yep. a lot of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so maybe maybe that has something to do with it. Okay, look, um, we are out of time, so we are going to wrap this one up. Uh, this do do you have any final thoughts on this series before we move on to other things? Nah, we. <laughs> Pelagius was right. Pelagius is the. In a I'm po- outnumbered a, in this room, guys. In a positive way. Um. pelagians okay bye (laughs) thanks for listening to the pints and perspectives podcast hosted by wellhouse church be sure to give us a rating and review if you enjoyed the episode it's free and it helps us immensely also feel free to check out our other podcasts